Welcome to the Then Weight Podcast, where we're bridging the gap between able-bodied and disabled people through real talk and real conversations from a wheelchair. Hello, I'm excited to have you on the show, um, the Dead Weight Podcast. And I do, well, I haven't really got a chance to talk to you, but I do a disability awareness podcast. So, But I like to talk about mental health and everything and um, people with okay. disabilities have mental health and depression things and you struggle with right. things too. So um, I'm definitely excited to have you on. I have my therapy is dope shirt on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I'm really grateful to be here. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, I think we're going to start it off. Um, tell me a little bit about your childhood and, and before we get to the big stuff, let me know about your childhood. Okay. And are we on the podcast now or are you? Oh, oh yes, ma'am. Whatever we talk oh. about, I, yeah. <laughs> okay. <can>. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes people, you know, we talk first, but no. Um, yeah. My childhood. It had every, everything to do with what I ended up doing as a psychotherapist. I, um, you know, I grew up in a what appeared to be a pretty nice home, but actually there was some abuse going on sort of behind closed doors. And I buried that um, when I was a little girl and um, just grew up feeling like there was something really wrong with me and I didn't know what it was. And uh, I kind of went in two directions. Um, at first, you know, I was a, I graduated high school in 1965, and that was just sort of when the whole hippie era was blossoming. And I was on the East Coast, and I got very involved with spiritual pursuits that were, you know, kind of, there were a lot of teachers coming from India, and and it was, a you know, a really big deal. And it was actually wonderful in a, in a lot of ways. Um because I felt like I had a strong spiritual connection, but it never really healed whatever was going on with me. And I eventually went to therapy when my children were really small. I had three children and I uh, went to therapy and that really changed my life. I began to, uh, you know, I think today we kind of take it for granted, or maybe many people do that, um, that we know that our childhoods affect us. We know that traumas affect us. We know that social conditions affect us, but nobody talked that language when I was growing up. We were just sort of expected to do well. And um, yeah, and so, you know, I had those expectations of myself and I went to college and, you know, I did all those things, but none of them really helped me feel better on the inside. So when I, when my children were really small, I went to therapy for the first time and I began to make all those connections. And I eventually remembered some of what happened to me. And, and from there, it was just sort of, you know, I became a psychotherapist and went, you know, went to graduate school and became a psychotherapist. And then I really got that, there's millions of people like me out there, you know, who yeah. don't understand themselves, who feel like they're other, who feel like they don't fit in, who feel like there's something wrong with them for a variety of reasons. And I'm sure um, that's part of the legacy of having a disability in this society as well. Um, mine was all didn't show, you know, it was all, all internal, but um I don't know that that's any better. You know, I don't mm -hmm. think there is any, any better, you know, mm -hmm. um, 
But I realized that there were so many people like me, whether it was abuse in childhood or like a disability that, you know, sets you apart from other people or poverty or discrimination or religious, you know, fanaticism or whatever the things are that hurt people in this world and traumatize them that they don't have any help for. Um, and, and, and that the cycle of what happens to them doesn't get broken. They're just stuck in it. And that became really powerful for me as a psychotherapist and realizing that like what we do in our individual offices to help people and all the help that I got when I, you know, started to go on a kind of a healing journey isn't available to most people. And, um, and I think a lot of people, even if it were available to them might not want it because of there's a stigma around it. You shouldn't need any help. You should pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, you know, there's just a lot of, I think there's a lot of societal judgment still. I think there was maybe more then than there is now. I don't know. Um, but went to therapy that was like, you know, nobody in my family ever did anything like that. Um, so, you know, I realized that, that abuse is widespread, pain is widespread, suffering from internal and social conditions is widespread, and that what we know in our offices when we work with people, when I worked, you know, on my own things, but especially looking at working with people, so many people came to therapy in so much pain from abuse, from neglect, from, you know, all the things that I mentioned that make people feel other, um, from social ostracizing, from, um, you know, being a nerd, from um, repeating then a lot of what happened to them in their marriages or with their children or with their employers, because we tend to repeat what we know unless there's some healing happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, as you know, I'm I'm kind of a very empathic person, obviously. And, you know, I just feel for that, that level of suffering that isn't being addressed in our society and how many people don't get help. And then from there, the next kind of big aha, and please stop me at any point if you no. have a question. or <laughs> Yeah. From there, the next big aha was that, you know, many people and I saw this in my practice, um, and this is something that I, one of the many things that I've been writing about in the book that I'm writing called America in Therapy, um, is that if abuse and neglect in whatever form don't get treated, people become really symptomatic. You know, sometimes it's all turned in and we don't see it so much. Um, it could be self-sabotaging behavior. It could be constantly being attracted to unhealthy relationships. Um, um, it can be addiction. It can be withdrawal. Um, it can be, you know, managing high levels of anxiety and depression, but it can also become aggression. So there's sort of two sides of that coin. Some people sort of turn their pain on themselves and many people turn it outward toward others and they become the abuser toward their children or their spouses or their employees um, or just you know random people on the street and and then you know sort of the next leap was and some of them run for office (laughs) and and they you know have positions of great power over many many people and they're acting out their woundedness 
on all the people that they have power and control over. And I believe that a lot of that is going on in our government today. And so my basic theory, and then I'll let you kind of jump in and say whatever you'd like to say. My The basic premise of my book is that what, and with a lot of detail added to what I'm going to say, but is that the model of what we know in psychology are the dynamics of abusive families and what happens to people when they don't get help and they don't get rescue is exactly the model for what I call the abusive family that's going on in America today. And we can see the same power dynamics, the same terrible effects on millions of people, on children, on women, on minorities. Um, and, and, and this I feel very strongly about, and I think it might be just starting to be talked about in, in other conversation, but I think it's a new conversation. Um, and that is that many of the things that are going on in our country, like the incredibly hostile divide between parties and the, and partisanship, um, and the, you know, really flagrant hostility that's all over the news and the rise in violence and mass murders and, you know, all these shootings that are happening, they're, they're sort of the tip of the iceberg of what I would call mass mental illness. They're signs of mental illness. And we call them, they're sort of hidden behind the veil of, well, this is these are different ideologies, or we have different political beliefs, or we have different religious beliefs. Um, and so it's sort of the war between one ideology and another. But in fact, people who murder other people, people who, you know, exploit the resources or steal or take land from other people are not well people. It's not a political ideology. It's a mental dysfunction. And so my book is all about pointing that out, that what we need to treat is the mental health of our country. Um, and and I talk about that in terms of everything that I've learned as a psychotherapist can be applied on a national level if we wanted it, if we funded it, if we saw the necessity for it. So, so my book is sort of like, this is the terror of the situation. And there's actually a lot of hope because we know a lot of the tools of what helps heal people. So there you go. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> I got you. Well, I'm gonna keep going. But um, first of all, I, I don't really know too much about uh, psychotherapists. So can you explain it to me? Yeah, I think you mean what psychotherapy kind of does? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, great question. Um, basically, you know, the, the what, and there's different forms of psychotherapy. There's lots of different models of how you help people who are in pain. But basically, I'll tell you the, the orientation that I have learned and have used the most over the years. And that's basically that, you know, when we're little, um, and this can happen at a later age, but let's just talk about our childhoods because, you know, we're, we're brought Everybody is, or most people are brought up within some kind of a family system mm -hmm. and in a healthy family in, a, and, and no family's perfect. And I don't pretend that there is a perfect family out there, but in a relatively healthy family, the children are wanted. No one is beaten. 
Um, everyone is fed, everyone is clothed, every and and children get a message, not only that they're wanted, but that they're loved. Mm-hmm. You know, that um that they're seen for their individual gifts or talents. You know, one kid might be really good at music, another's really good at sports, another's more shy, another one's more outgoing. But there's a basic acceptance and valuing of the family members, not that there's no conflict, not that kids don't cry and want to stay up later or eat more sugar or, you know, go someplace they're not allowed to go. Not, you know, within the realm of normal, we get messages that we're loved and that the limits and boundaries that are set for us are appropriate and not hurtful. Um, And that hopefully there's some model of healthy relating between the parents, not just the parents with the children, but the parents between each other, that there's respect, that there's cooperation, um, and that that there's love and a bonding, you know, and there's probably lots of other elements I could could add. And one, one big one would be that conflict is settled without violence. Yes. You know, can, go ahead. Oh, no, I was saying yes, I was agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah, that's a relatively healthy family. Um, and w- what I see from my practice, from knowing so many people over the years, is that there are not a lot of healthy families out there. Mm-hmm. There really aren't. I mean, um, and and or what I should say is I don't have statistics, but there are a lot of people who are really suffering from how they grew up. Uh, parents abandoning them, parents having, you know, violent physical fights, children being physically assaulted or sexually assaulted in their homes, um, lots of put downs, like you're ugly, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything. Um, I had a a client that was adopted and her mother used to say, I'll send you back. You know, nobody, nobody will ever love you. I mean, these are, these are not how human beings are actually wired. Mm -hmm. Something happens to us that we treat one another that way. We're wired for love and connection. So to answer your question, to go back, um, so there's so, so in a healthy family, you get good messages about yourself. I'm a good person. I have something to offer. I'm lovable. Um, I am entitled to be treated well. Um, I can amount to something great in the world or, you know, or fulfill my dreams, you know, those kind of things. And in an unhealthy family, we get negative messages about ourselves, either you don't matter. You're not lovable. You're not worthy. You're fat. You're stupid. Um, you know, what's wrong with you? You're, you know, I've just heard it all. <laughs> you know, I have heard it all. And it's more common than I think most of us would like to think. So those negative messages then turn into some kind of coping mechanism. So if I believe that I'm ugly and stupid, maybe my coping mechanism is to hide and withdraw and wear big baggy clothes so nobody can see how ugly I am. Or maybe I'm a rebel and I'm going to go out there and, you know, just um, flaunt myself and, you know, whatever, you know, we each have it or I'm going to become an addict because I can't deal with the pain or I'm going to keep um, looking for, I'm going to keep trying to please people to find somebody who will accept me and love me. 
Um, so there's a there's a there's a sort of a pattern that gets set up of the negative beliefs we take on from negative conditioning. And some of that happens outside the home. It can happen from kids on the playground. It can happen from teachers. It can happen from social media. It can happen from role models we see on TV. It can happen from anywhere, but very formatively it's in the home. And so this pattern of negative beliefs we take on about ourselves and then coping mechanisms that don't end up working for us in adulthood are what bring people to therapy. Like life is not working. I'm believing I'm unlovable. I'm believing no one will ever love me. I'm believing I'm going to be alone forever, or I'll never be able to fulfill my dreams, or I can't have the kind of relationship or job I want, um, or I'll always be poor, or whatever it is that we believe, we kind of take that into adulthood. And the job of psychotherapy is, is to kind of unearth that. What did you what did you believe when you were a little kid? Mm-hmm. What did somebody tell you? Or what did they imply by the funny way they looked at you? Um, or that they ignored you? Or they bullied you? Or they left you out on the playground? Or whatever they did that left you feeling less than as a person. And you came to believe something about yourself that wasn't great. And then how did you cope? And we tr- the purpose of therapy is to kind of take that whole structure apart and really help people know that whatever you came to believe about yourself as a result of sad, mean, hurtful, abusive things that happened to you are not true. Mm-hmm. Those things are not true. You are just as lovable and worthy and wonderful as any other human being on this earth. And But you were taught differently. And so we start with that premise, like what you took on is not true, but it feels true. And you've acted in your life as if it were true. And you've tried to cope as if it were true. Um, There's a, there was a, um, it's just sort of the image of like, there's a person has an essence and it has nothing to do with how they look, what their IQ is, how much money they have, what race or religion or gender or anything they are. Each one of us has a precious, beautiful essence. And my view of all good therapy or really any healing modality, but I'm a therapist, um, is to uncover that essence and give it a chance to grow if it got covered over or if it got squashed or if it got maligned. Um, and there's different processes in therapy for doing that. And, and what, what we, what we find over and over again is that once you take apart that negative belief structure and you really start to feel that it's not true and you start to embody and empower more positive beliefs about yourself. Yes, I am lovable. I can have the life I want. Um, I don't have to please people to be accepted. Um, whatever, whatever it is, um, that our coping mechanisms start to change, mm-hmm. you know, and go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, um, I growing up, growing up, um, I was very like angry and, and I felt alone, you know, growing up, uh-huh. because, um, obviously I couldn't do what a lot of kids did to play basketball, just, the simple things as a kid, sometimes you did. Now, I mean, I made the best of life and I did what I could, but yeah, it's inside like 
uh, my brother said you was happy. Like you talked to my family. I guess I just I put it inward. So I still had a smile on my face. I was still laughing, joke, but inside I was very angry. Yeah. What was your disability as a kid? Well, I have a uh, muscular dystrophy, so I'm in a wheelchair. Oh, okay. So, okay, that's um, very hard for a mm-hmm. child. So yeah. because you don't, you don't. I guess you, you really, as a kid, you're trying to find an identity anyway, and it was just, it was double tough for me, you know, growing up because I was, I don't know, it just, I probably I was just miserable. I just say that, like I, I love life, but I was miserable. Yeah. And um, I think I, even with my emotions, so like, I didn't even know I was angry until I was about 28, 29 years old, where I just mm. went into like a, a kind of a depression. Right. And, but um, because I always, I never really faced my emotions, I just tucked them under the rug. I It forced me to have to deal with my emotions and feel everything that I was feeling. And it was tough. Did you actually go to therapy or how I, did you do with I, them? I did it. I didn't go to therapy. I actually, I actually want to go to therapy to, you know, to still talk about some things. Um, but I haven't quite got there yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think um movies, watching movies. Um and I it's funny, I I, I said I think I believe that God was talking to me through movies. Mm-hmm. Wow. But, um, so what kind of messages did you feel like you got that were helpful to you? Honestly, at the end of the day, like, um, so I always resonated whether they were an addicts or the, the, the person that was going through the most things inside, I resonated with that person and just them, you know, dealing with their issues, dealing with, like, um, mm-hmm. In, in forcing himself to be better or um, yeah, the, the choice of, am I going to keep doing this or am I going to keep, or I'm going to try to be a better person and grow yeah. you know, every day. And I didn't expect to be better overnight, but I know it was going to be a process, but like, um, yeah, movies like really in that moment, um, got to my motion. It could be a comedy. I could I, I just resonated with something in 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 that movie. And I'm not really a big movie person, but I've watched so many movies. Well it sounds like you got inspired because other people you could see and feel other people's journeys. Mm-hmm. And and you didn't feel so alone. I don't know. What what do you think? Well I mean in it I, I think that it encouraged me. Obviously, movies have kind of happy endings sometimes. So <laughs> it, it just encouraged me that if you keep fighting, you want to go because even my my I, my confidence, I, I didn't have, I had low self-esteem and it was all a fake until you make it. And I, I, I like that, but then I hate that at the same time. But like one day, I just... I just, um, I kind of start, started to try to see myself in a different light. And, wow. Um, because, wow. yeah, you know, being in a wheelchair, you no. Know. So, I mean, I, and I, I say this is like, now in my life, I'm 37 years old, the wheelchair wasn't a problem 
I projected the wheelchair as being a problem, but it wasn't necessarily my problem. Uh, you know, obviously there are things that I can't do because of the wheelchair, but I can still live a fulfilled life. And That's I try to beautiful. do that, you know, every day. What do you think made the biggest bridge for you out of where you came from inside to like this new sense of yourself? And um, it sounds like more acceptance and more, um, more, more ability to focus on what you can and can do well. Well, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I I think the biggest fact was that I never accepted that I had a disability. And it's a lot because I grew up and my, you know, I I was disciplined like everybody else. I wasn't raised to, you know, look at the chair as a problem, and which sometimes, which sometimes it is a problem, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was in a wheelchair, so like, yeah. you know, friends and everybody treated me like a normal person sometimes. Wow. And, but at the same time, I was still in the wheelchair, and I was still exactly. having these issues, and um, and just not being able to talk and hide my feelings. But when I started to accept that I'm in a wheelchair, you know, uh, unless I have a a miracle. I want to be in a wheelchair or whatever, like, you know, and I have to accept the fact that I, otherwise I'm going to be this miserable person for the rest of my life. And I don't, right. I, don't I don't want to right. be that way. So deep acceptance is part yeah. of what you, what was healing for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's beautiful. And it doesn't have to come in a therapy session. You know, it doesn't have to come through therapy. Like there's lots of different ways that people, arrive at those places of good and acceptance is definitely a part of good therapy. You know, most of us don't want the pain we have. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. right. It is. And I'm, I'm still on a journey and I, and I wanted to talk to you about, um, kind of the healing process, you know, not just mine, but just in general, like mm-hmm. it's, it's tough because I, I have, I feel this kind of like loneliness because of, you know, my childhood and th- missing out on things like that. It's just projected as being loneliness. But like in my healing and I guess the healing process, I I feel even more alone sometimes. Like I it just I don't know how to explain it. It's just like I don't want to be around people or it's just like I, I deal with my stuff or I don't know. I just I don't like dealing with emotions. I'm still like even though I like to, you know, feel my emotions, I really don't like dealing with emotions. I'm not a crier. And I can see myself tearing up and it's just like, man up. <laughs> you know, it's just Yeah. Well those I, are big messages in our society, especially to men. You yeah. know, they really are. And even though like I know that I should, it's just I, I get those things and it's just it's hard for me. And it's just like I don't know how to do you actually, feel like there's a part of you that would like to be able to release some of that emotion or are you not sure? I mean, I, I, I would like to not, I think so, but sometimes not to say I don't cry, but it just has to be like, I just have to be overwhelmed with a point where like, even if I say that it, it's coming out. Right. Right. You no. Know, and, um, but it's just, you grew up in the, the men that I'm around for the, for the most part, the men that are around didn't cry, you know. And didn't I, cry? Is that what you yeah, said? 
didn't cry. And and when I seen, and when I did see, because I, I grew up in church. So when I did see men cry, it was in a church setting. So okay. I I was talking to a friend um last summer about that, you know, because talking about emotions and men's emotions, I was like, you know, I was like, my dad, I I outside of church, I think I may have seen him cry two times outside of church. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so you know, being as a kid, like I cried in church, but I felt safe to cry in church. Yeah. And yeah. That, it was acceptable there. Yeah. yeah. But outside of that, I was like, I, I don't know. So it was always, it was never hard for me to cry in church, but outside of church, I couldn't cry. Wow. Well, at least, at least you had that. And it would be nice to feel like you didn't have to stuff your emotions in other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm working on it and um now I'm in a place in life where I'm just I'm genuinely happy. And I still got things to work on, but I'm I'm happy and I, I work on them as they come. Uh because That's there's beautiful. some things in you know my childhood that I kind of just they come and I forget them and then they come back and it's just like oh, something else I gotta deal with. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just but I guess it's a part of the healing journey and Things like yeah. that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I don't know how it is for everybody, but I think there's a part of the healing journey that is lonely. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's there's things that we can share with other people. We can take inspiration with other people. Mm-hmm. If therapy or some other kind of healing process is attractive to you, that certainly is like you're not alone. Somebody is there with you, with whatever's going on with you. But I think there's a part of us that is just nobody can ever really know your experience. You may mm-hmm. be like somebody else's experience and it's, it's really helpful to talk to them if they've shared things that you've, that you've experienced. But I think there is a part of it that is just alone. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of what you accept too. And, and there can be a strength in that, that not like buck up and, you know, yeah. be a man or be strong or whatever, but there's just a strength in like really um, taking possession of yourself and facing what there is to face. And then, you know, like what you're doing as a podcaster is really beautiful because, mm-hmm. you know, you're taking your gifts and then you're sharing those with other people and you're allowing other people a safe space mm-hmm. to share their journey. So you've really transformed some of some of the pain of your of of your disability and what, how that impacted your life, which is, you know, really what we're all doing in therapy. We're transforming whatever hurt us mm-hmm. into something that's constructive and useful and relational and hopefully brings us happiness and fulfillment. Yes, ma'am. That's what I'm doing now. I, I like I said, I, I'm happy. I started working. I, 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 I get up in the morning and working and, and things like that. And I just enjoy my life. And um, just recently, last year, I started, I started smoking cigars last year. Oh, really? Yes. And um, the people that I hang out with, we become close. And um, I'm just a quiet person. I don't like podcasting is weird for me because I'm a quiet person. And mm-hmm. I will, I sit, I go to the lounge and I, you know, sometimes I don't sit the group. I sit like outside of the group, and they're like, "What's wrong? Like, why are you not hanging out with us?" And it's like, for me, just to be there with y'all sometimes and not talk is just enough for me. I don't, I don't need to talk. I don't need to have a conversation. I could just sit there and just 
hang out with y'all. Like, I know y'all have my back and everything like that. And um, so I experienced even my friendships right now is is different that I I really enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. which really helps me out. And just they get on me because I don't I don't ask for help either. I have a hard time asking for help. It's just like Mm-hmm. Why you know we got you? Why are you gonna ask for help? And it's just like I know mm-hmm. it's just something in my head. I, I'm not able to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a balance between you know being appropriately independent as an adult mm-hmm. and really knowing that we all need help or we need connection at some point mm-hmm. and being able to be open to that or ask for that. I think that there's a balance that we just each try to find in our own way in our life and hopefully um, can do that without feeling shame if we're dependent on somebody or we just really want something from other people. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. We're we're not wired to be islands. Mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely understand that. But, um, it, that. but that part is really helping you out just to have some friendships and some um, close friends and they motivate me to do better. And right. um, that's just what I need. And being an adult, I, 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 I was talking to my brother one day and I was like, you know, in my life, like I said, I'm 37 and I really honestly just, I, I really started just feeling like a man. Like, obviously I'm a, I've been a man for, you know, I'm a man. I get that, but I and I didn't really even know how to even. He asked me, "Why do you feel that way?" And I didn't really know how to answer those questions. But only thing I could think of was like, you know, how when you were growing up, you had stages. You know, you had, there was a stage of doing things. Like when you turn sixteen, you got your driver's license. When you, when you turn this age, right. you got a chance to do that. I met so many stages. Um, that it's just like. But my mind, I can, I feel my mind say change, and I feel like I'm getting better. So I can say, say that now. But like before, I was like, yeah, I know I'm a man, but it's just like, I don't feel like a man. And like now, in my life, I'm just starting to feel like a man. That is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Is that like really wonderful for you? Oh yeah, yeah. It feels, it feels really good to, to say that. That, yeah. Wow. It, it um so. And that makes me happy to think that way. And it, and honestly, it kind of makes me mad a little bit because I'm like, I feel like, I know it's like no timetable life, but like, I feel like I could have went through this and felt like this 10, 15 years ago, but I didn't. And it's going on now. Yeah. And you know what? We didn't because we couldn't and we can now, you know, there's like, I love the, there's this, I don't know where I heard this, but it's some old, I don't know if it's a Chinese proverb or what it is, but it was, um, and I've said this to so many clients who, because we do, you know, once you, once you heal, there's a, there's a sort of a grief for not having healed sooner or, you know, and healing is an ongoing process, but you know what I mean? Like once you feel better, you like, you think, God, I wish I had felt better when I was 20 and I would have made a different choice then. Um, but the the expression is there's two best times to plant a tree 20 years ago and today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. the only choice we have is to plant it today, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been, you know, but I think one of the accepting, I guess, accept that I was 
never. I was always in the wheelchair, and I got to make my life count. I just got to make my life count and be happy with what I have. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I do see people sometimes in um, that have more than I do that don't make life count. And mm-hmm. it makes me that, I mean, it used to make me upset, but not that I feel sorry for that person, but I just wish that I will, I will hope they can figure something out in life too. And, and, yeah. And be on the journey. Yeah. You have so many tools to be happy and you, you decide to be upset, whether by choice or just right. not, just not want to deal with your issues. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's, that's one of the beautiful things about pain and suffering. It can be really transformative in the sense that you have a really deep perspective on what means something in life mm-hmm. and what it means, you know, what, what's really a value, um, that that and that's that's sort of like the silver lining. It's pain is not fun. Suffering is not fun. Um, bad things that happen to us or that people did to us are not fun. But but there can be like this gold that comes out of it. Like you just really do appreciate life and you really know what matters and you have something to give then to other people because there's so many people in this world that don't have anyone to bounce any of this stuff off of. You're definitely right. And I, I want to ask you, um, because I'm not very, I guess, religious. I, I, I do believe in God and things like that. He, I, I pray every day. And But how, how how do you deal with people that, and not saying this is from me, but um, struggle with forgiveness? Struggle with forgiveness? Yes. Um, just say, like, because a parent or somebody like a, fam- a family member or, you know, friends, anybody that, you know, did some harm to them to cause them to be in this mm-hmm. mental state. And they're trying to heal, but they still struggle with forgiveness. Right. Like, well, you know, I think many people have, people have different attitudes about forgiveness. I can tell you what mine is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for people who have struggled with that, with someone who really hurt them, I tell them, you don't have to forgive that person. Mm-hmm. This isn't about them. This mm-hmm. is about you healing. This is about you taking your power back. This is about you throwing off whatever the mean projections or hurtful projections are that they put on you. Um, this is this is really about you healing. And, and, and the number one... Is one of the number one steps in that process is owning your truth. And mm-hmm. if your truth is that this person molested me or this person beat me or this person stole from me or this person called me names or they looked down on me because I was a woman and they thought men were better or whatever it was, mm-hmm. I don't have to forgive them. It doesn't mean I have to hate them. I don't I don't ever encourage anybody to act out or hate other people. But like I think the healing comes in bringing the energy back to your own recovery from whatever the trauma or the hurt was. And in that place, you may you may feel forgiveness for them because because your heart is healed. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't recommend that people force themselves to forgive anybody because I don't actually think that's forgiveness. It's just, you know, making yourself do something because you think it's right. And how many of us have already forced ourselves to do things that we think are right? 
and that doesn't help us at all. Um, yes, ma'am. And, and I think I've become a little selfish with, with myself and not necessarily in a bad way, but like um, I just started, you know, going training and, and working. So I get up in the morning and I do things and my, I feel like I have a purpose, but my, my point is, is that like, I'm a little selfish with my time. Like my time has been cut off. So like, if I don't want to do something, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it because I, I like to go to sleep at a, a decent time so I can wake up in the morning. So if I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. I'm going to be selfish. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the time that I have now, um, my free time. And maybe it's not selfishness. You know, I think there's, if you're really taking away something from someone else that you really ought to give for some reason, like if you have children and you're ignoring them or, you know, you're not preparing your lesson plan for your students, that's one thing. But, you know, maybe what you're doing is just really taking care of yourself so that you can be available for what you're doing in your life and for other people. Because I think we don't have, we don't have a good model for self-care in our country. I don't think we do. I mean, I think some people are developing that for sure, but we tend to think we're selfish if we're focusing on ourselves and then we burn out if we don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say my point was just like, well, I was going to say, well, we, we, we tend to look at selfishness. The word selfish as a negative word, but I don't really necessarily look at it as a negative. Exactly. Right. Just take right. care of yourself. I don't think selfish is a negative. It doesn't have, it has a negative connotation, mm -hmm. but, but it's not necessarily negative at all. Yeah. We, we, majority of the time we use it as a, a negative connotation, but um, I think that yeah. we need to be a little selfish. In we do. We know. do. We and, do. But like I said, I'm, I'm getting a little selfish. Like I don't mind telling somebody no, <laughs> because <laughs> If I don't want to do something, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to be miserable trying to do it. Now, if I do it, then I really want to do it. But Well, maybe you're just really being selective based on who you are and what feeds you and what seems important. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm, I had the opportunity to talk to you tonight. It feels it feels good to you know, talk and, and talk about some of these things. And, um, yeah. But I just um I just want to say something, but so I want before I leave, I want to talk to you, um, ask you about your books and, and why you decided. I know that did you want to be a writer? Or because you know, obviously you're gonna get third book. Did you grow up wanting to be a writer or I always wanted to be a writer, even when I was a kid. And I don't know where that came from. Mm -hmm. Um, but I always wanted to be a writer. And, and then when I was in school, you know, and we had to write papers and stories and all that, I got a lot of praise from teachers for my writing ability. So I think that helped me feel good about writing, but I always wanted to be a writer. And I, I wrote some poetry when I was in high school, and then I would write these little short stories, mostly about my life, not like fictional people. And I always kept journals. I kept them, you know, stacks of journals. Mm. Um, and then, and then I, the first two books that I wrote were more about like my spirit, the spiritual part of my journey and, and my connection to spirit that wasn't really through any religion. It was just 
like more of an internal experience. Okay. And then this book that's really, it really comes out of my experience as a therapist because I just really see the relevance of what I've learned as a therapist to our country. And, you know, I'm worried about our country. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's going in a very unhuman direction, you know, a very cruel, um, violent, a very um, kind of hateful and discriminatory direction. And, and, and it really worries me. And I have, I have, or I can feel concerned. I have, I have three grandchildren. I have three grandchildren and, um, you know, I care about the future that they inherit here. And so that's why I'm writing this book. That's more about like, if we could bring America to therapy, we would be a different country. (laughs) You're right about that. You're definitely right about that. All right. And, um, I don't have one more question for you that I that I wanted to talk about. And it's something that I've been doing. And I didn't say I would have said this, but I forgot to say it. But I've been really doing a lot of self um affirmations. Great. And uh I tell myself, I'm not gonna say it on on I just tell my things, tell myself things, you know. Good. Especially I, I tell myself I love myself. I will say I love myself and I put myself first. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, over everybody. And there's other ones, but those are the two things that I say because I think those are most important. Um, when you sometimes struggle with uh insecurities and self-confidence and things like that. Like I do love myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, when we were when you asked me earlier what do you do in psychotherapy, and I was talking about how you kind of uncover the negative beliefs and the negative messages you got, mm-hmm. you know. The whole goal is to empower positive messages about yourself. Like I am lovable. I do have power. I can make good choices. Um, you know, I, I matter, whatever it is that affirmations are a really good way to cement those positive beliefs in yourself. So you're doing, you're doing the healing work. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yes, ma'am. And um, um, don't click off because when I when I get off here, um, I'm gonna talk to you afterwards. But um, okay, okay. Can you leave um, the viewers with a little nugget? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I there's so many little nuggets, but one thing is like you know, don't be afraid of your pain. Tell somebody. Find if you're really suffering. Find someone you can talk to, whether it's a therapist or someone in your church or a good friend. Um, find someone, you know, because we're not meant to suffer by ourselves. And I think healing takes some some parts of healing we do ourselves, but some can be really facilitated by caring other people. And the other nugget I would say is believe in yourself. If you feel called, you know, to be you know, to be a teacher or to be a doctor or to play music or write poetry, do it. You know, I think our essence really calls us to something that is, that will feed us. And so I think a lot of people have been, you know, so conditioned to do something that somebody else told them to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And especially, I guess I'll have a third nugget. If you are in a situation 
or a relationship that is not good for you, get help. Mm-hmm. Get help. You don't have to stay in a toxic environment. Um, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Phyllis, so, I, I really enjoyed talking to you today. Hopefully I get another chance to talk to you soon. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you and thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. to this episode of the Then Wait Podcast. If you believe in what we're doing, be sure to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to the podcast and check out our Patreon page. Don't forget that you have worth and value. And if you are ever in need of encouragement, feel free to connect with us on our socials.